I said to Catherine at tea time that I wondered who was going to be giving the talk tonight. And what I meant by that was I knew that I was coming here to give the talk tonight. However, I still was wondering who was going to come here to give the talk. Because more and more that there's that sense of really not knowing how something is going to manifest. Really being in that place of the unknowing, the not knowing. And that means even right here, sort of like, well, who is going to arrive here? And I think more and more as we come into the present moment with that unknowingness about who we take ourselves to be, there can be that element of surprise. <laughs> you know, as I said the other day, that you know, the, the, the one who is awake lives in a state of constant amazement. Because you, know, you, you become kind of amazing and that you just don't even know what's going to happen anymore. Sort of like not really knowing uh, what's going to come out of your mouth. And I realize as I start to become a little bit more comfortable with this, there's a certain element of anxiety that arises as well because there isn't that sort of that layer of, of, of protection, that caution that is usually there. So anything can happen. So um, perhaps some of you are starting to have a sense of this for yourself too, sort of that sense of that element of surprise that can arise as you let go, as you trust more into the present moment and not know what's going to come next. I remember one time when I was doing my walking meditation and I was really looking at this very carefully, like, how does the next step arise? Like, who, who's actually taking the step? Who's motivating that next step? You know, and just kind of watching as if there's, you know, I'm not even the one who's walking and the walking's just happening and just noticing that and being very, very curious about it. So, so we may have times where we're just, you know, in this kind of amazed sort of perception of just like, how is all this happening anyhow? You know, where is all this arising from? Where is it coming from? So that isn't actually what I want to talk about tonight. <laughs> uh, what I want to talk about is love. But it all fits together in some way, you know, because I think as we get out of the way more and more, what comes forth is a quality of lovingness. You know, when we are not so caught up in our sense of reactivity and the fixed conditions of who we take ourselves to be, as we open up more, there is space for love to flow. One of the difficulties on a spiritual path is that there can be many ideas, ideals that can get set up along the way about how we're supposed to be. You know, certainly if we've been practicing for a while, you know, we might have certain expectations or, you know, certain ideas, well, I should be here, or, you know, why isn't this happening, or, you know, it seems like it's just the way it's been, I just don't really feel like much is happening at all. Or, you know, we can have many ideas or ideals around how we should be in contact with others. You know, that there should be a quality of of kindness and lovingness and openness, as we've been talking about. Um, You know, we can really just start creating a whole other kind of identity around these ideas of who we're supposed to be, the spiritual identity. So we go from more of an ordinary being, one who before one walks on the path, and then as one starts to walk on the spiritual path, then we can kind of shift, the ego kind of shifts from being sort of concerned with the ordinary ways of being to more spiritual ways of being, and now we have a whole new set of ideas, you know. Um, Particularly, I think, particularly for me, there was a lot around this idea of loving, to be spiritual, or maybe even to be a Buddhist or a good Buddhist, 
you know, I'm supposed to be loving. I'm certainly not supposed to be angry, and I'm not. My mind isn't supposed to be filled with ill will and greed and confusion. You know, to be a good Buddhist, you know, the mind is supposed to be free of these aspects of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so we can um, have a tendency to want to monitor ourselves or evaluate ourselves or see where we are along the path, like, how well am I doing? And yet we're we're, uh, measuring against a certain set of ideas that somehow we've picked up or we've read about or uh, believe somehow that that's the way we're supposed to be as spiritual beings, and this measurement is still within the ego mind. It's like we haven't really stepped outside at all. We're using the, you know, the, the ego mind to evaluate ego mind. And we're just, just kind of caught in the same place. I think it's a little like rearranging the furniture in the house. You know, it looks better, but we, you know, we still have the same furniture. We're still in the same room. We haven't got out of the room so what we want to do to really understand love from the truest point of view is we kind of we need to get out of the room we the old the room that we're really familiar with the furniture that we know so well we we kind of have to walk out into completely new territory and discover for ourselves in our own experience what's true because any kind of idea that we have about how we're supposed to be as spiritual beings or any kind of idea we have about what it means to love which I think really is sort of in the center very much of spiritual practice and spiritual traditions is this quality of, of, of being open and loving and kind and compassionate towards all beings which is really something that we want because we know that when we are feeling that, we like it. As I said, the other, I'm not sure when, but at some point, it was around openness. When we're open, we like ourselves. It feels good. So when my heart is open, when I feel love and compassion and connection and a, and a, a flow of generosity, I like who I am. I like it. So I want it. I want that more of the time because it feels so good. It feels so good to be in that kind of connection. But then what happens is that we then set up some kind of expectation or evaluation or judgment about that's where I'm supposed to be and what's wrong with me that I'm not and what does it say about my practice, what does it say about what I'm doing in my life, what does it say about anything about you know, that I'm, I'm where I'm at. And this can then trigger the judgment and more expectation and more sense of rejection, more aversion towards ourselves that can spiral into self-hate and just the whole rejecting of ourselves, rejecting behavior. And then we can be upset when we see that because we're not being very loving. And then we start to judge ourselves again. We're, we're, we're very much, we can get very much caught up in a vicious cycle that we really can't find our way out. It's like we're caught in that room. We don't know how to get out of the room and find this quality of what's really true, this true love that actually is here all the time, but we don't know how to access it. So when we're caught up in these ideas about how we think we should be as spiritual beings, then we will be limited by those ideas. We will feel somewhat trapped by those ideas because we'll keep evaluating ourselves based on those ideas. So this is what happens when we stay at the level of our thinking mind. When we stay, as, as Catherine was speaking so eloquently last night about me, we stay caught up in this idea of me and who I should be. This, in this case, this spiritual me, or the spiritual identity of me. So it might be 
rather than having these ideas and trying then to fit our experience into our expectation through our ideas about how we ought to be, it's probably better to actually take a look in the present moment, in the direct here and now reality, and ask the question, well, what is my experience when my heart opens? What is it? It's... How can we explore it, how can we know it, unless the heart actually begins to open? Because otherwise, unless it's our experience and we know it for ourselves, we can't know it. It's not our own. So something has to occur that begins to open the heart. And that's why in in Buddhism we have many, many practices that really work with cultivating the opening of the heart as a way to give support to that, as a way to begin to soften and to break down some of these strong fixations about who we take ourselves to be so that there can be some space in the mind, in the being, in the body, so that the possibility of beginning to feel some of the qualities of our heart, the qualities of our nature, begin to come through through the practices and the methods and the techniques that we apply here. One of the ones that works very directly with the softening of the heart, the opening of the heart, is the loving-kindness practice that I introduced today and that many of you already have incorporated into your practice. works very directly with, through the repetition of the phrases. The, the, the um, repetition of the phrases actually turns the mind towards the wholesome, towards the good, towards the wakeful heart, so that there's more possibility to perhaps know that, to experience that, to touch that. So something needs to occur so that we actually have the experience. When we start to feel the experience of something of our heart softening, of, of our heart opening, where we can then begin to investigate it, begin to know it, begin to feel it, and say, ah, it's like this. This is what happens when my heart starts to open. And then as we pay attention to it, as we start to investigate it, we keep our attention on it, we start to understand more clearly, we start to feel it more directly, and that in itself feeds it. It's fuel for the sustaining and the opening and the expanding. It is the food itself. By having the attention in contact with the goodness, with the love, with the purity, the purity of our heart. In fact, it's the purity of the love, the love that's within us that actually empowers the love. It gives the power because it's so pure. And as we touch it more and more, we are empowered by that love that, that we are, that is already there. So every time we turn our mind, we bring our mind back in a tender way, in a kind way, in a gentle way, we're nourishing that fuel in a way. We're nourishing the purity of that consciousness so then it feeds on itself, it just keeps feeding, and we become more expansive, we become more connected, we become more present. That's our food, that's our nourishment. That's the fuel and the, and the accumulated, we might say the accumulated merit that moves in time into the future, which, upon which we become stronger and start to feel more of our capacity of who we are in our truth, in our authenticity. As we pay attention to how the heart opens and how it actually feels when the heart opens, we might be able to pay attention in three ways. Paying attention to three different areas in our mind-body experience. Because the the mind-body has three centers. One is the head, or the mind, one is the heart, and one is the belly. And these are the three centers of of our being. And when we start to explore love, 
and the opening of the heart, we often think that it has something to do with the heart or with the center of our body that somehow will feel some kind of expansion through the heart or the openness of our of our of ourselves in this way. But we can actually experience that movement of love in all three centers. And it may be Located, we may have the experience in one center and not another center. We may not be feeling much in our heart area at all. We might be having more of a sense of something that's happening in our head. And I want to explain these three centers and what happens in the movement of love with each one. When we talk about the head center and the, the awakening of love through the head or the mind... What we're talking about, perhaps, is, a, is the way that the mind turns towards the wholesome, towards the goodness, and we um, have a shift in our mental attitude. We actually have a shift in our perception, our attitude and our perception. Catherine was talking about that this morning, of being aware of what lens is over consciousness at any given time. And as we, we might say in this case, we're kind of cleaning that lens. It's a clean lens. So as we, we perceive, the mood or the quality of consciousness may be one of, of upliftment, of openness, of connection, where we're just, there's, there can be this quality of, of ease, where we're just simply here and we feel connected. We just know, we just know that there's not a problem, there's not a conflict. There's just the clear perception that everything's okay. The Buddha talks about this as the absence of ill will. The mind is not filled with ill will, it's actually filled with metta. The absence of ill will is the quality of loving kindness, is metta. So we might say that either there's no filter... Or we might say the filter is clean, it's cleaned of the calaises of the greed and the hatred and the confusion. There's just the pure perception of knowing that things are okay, I'm not in conflict, there's a quality of friendliness, there's a quality of ease. It's very simple. It's not anything magnificent or, you know, like, wow. You know, now I'm really feeling love, you know. It's it's just the knowing. It's very simple, quiet, still, present, connection. That's love. That's a a, a quality, an expression of love and kindness because it has this feeling of friendliness. You feel friendly, feel at ease, you know, things are light. Simple, because the mind is not in conflict. The mind is not bound up in these, in in in, in the wanting and the not wanting, and the demands and the defending and the worrying and the fear. It's just ah. And this itself is an expression of loving kindness. We might say that. There's also the sense of selflessness. The sense of self isn't so present. When we talk about, Catherine spoke this morning, when we talk about self, we can often feel that kind of self is really here. You know, this contracted sense of me. I'm really here in the room and I'm, you know, bringing something in. But sometimes the sense of, well, the self isn't so strong right now. There's not much that seems to be in the way. I'm just here in a very kind of simple, easy way. I'm not caught up in thinking about me and what's in it for me and what's going on with me. In the text, they call this a distortion of loving kindness. It's, a, it's called possessive love. When we get caught up in the, what, what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of it, like when we're uh, sometimes in our relationships with our partners or our children or whoever it is, or our mothers or fathers, it's like, well, I'll love you if you do this, or I'll love you if you give me this. It's a very conditional love or a, a possessive love. It's not the pure love of metta or the open heart. The open heart 
points to the selfless quality where the self isn't so strong in that moment. And as I said, this can manifest as a very quiet kind of still ease just with what is. Or if there is some, some sense of self that is somewhat contracted or, or, or bound up in a particular moment, there can still be this shift in this perception or this attitude which is able to know the experience of might be anger or irritation or fear or pain and that the mind, the consciousness can come over the experience and hold that with love. Can hold that, embrace that one who's in pain, the one who's in suffering. It can the consciousness can just come and embrace like a, like the, the metaphor, like a mother holds her only child. And hold, we can hold ourselves with that tenderness. And this is the, the, the mind, the, the capacity of the mind to love, to be present. And it's this, again, it's just a simple shift of consciousness where we are there in that loving kind, tender way with whatever experience we're having. So it may be sometimes that there's not much going going on at all and we have a a sense of real selflessness in that moment. We're able to really go out and make connection with the grass and the roses and the birds and the trees and the mind's very quiet. And there's just that quality of connected love Or it might be we're really caught up in something, yet consciousness can still come and wrap itself around as a way of holding and caring in that tenderness. So this is the movement from the the mind, the mind center, and how this expression of love can take form in the mind center. When the love is moving more from the heart center, we may actually feel that as more feeling. And I'm sure many of you have had this, where you just almost feel like the heart is really opening. And there's, there's, there may be sensations. Sometimes when I've done the loving-kindness meditation or I've, as I continue and expand my attention around that, my heart, the whole this area around my chest really comes alive. I'll have sensations and sometimes if I'm going through something kind of difficult with somebody, my heart is really present and I feel the the effect of what's happening in my my chest and my heart. Because there is that Wanting that wanting of connection and that wanting of love, and so my heart, I really feel the quality of my heart when, when the connection isn't there. Yet when that love is flowing, we may really feel this kind of this expansion. We may be very connected to the center of our chest, where not just our physical heart, but we call it our heart center or the, the chakra of the heart, which really comes alive. And sometimes we can feel that radiating out right from the center. We can just, when we're standing with somebody, we just feel, you know, the connection through our heart. And it feels very real. And there's something we love about that. that It really feels like love. I love this person. You know, as the hands hands come out, I love this person. I feel like that, that radiance that comes right out through the heart. And sometimes we actually say that the mind, this thinking mind, or how we know ourselves, the way that the self uh, congeals or cons- configures in through the storyline and through all the, the voices and all the, 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 the reality that we create through the mind, sometimes when that breaks up, sometimes we talk about the mind dropping into the heart. So rather than the mind being activated, we actually feel more of our heart being activated and we move we can actually move and have a sense of connecting with reality more from the place of our heart we may say in that case we're heart centered there's a feeling of being I'm I'm heart centered or somebody we may label somebody like that they're very heart centered 
And from there we may feel this kind of tenderness or this care or this delicacy, this kind of appreciation for the fragility of, of people and of life and of nature. Things feel much more tender. We feel our own fragility and our own tenderness. And perhaps you've felt that at times here. The gardens seem to evoke this, or the trees, those are the, the Buddha Dharma Sangha trees out on the lawn, you know, the, the, the three um, refuge trees, you know, just even standing by those trees. Sometimes we just, you know, we feel our, our vulnerability and our fragility and, and just how delicate all of life is. And in that, we can feel this heart quality of, of, the, of, the, of the tenderness of all things, and including ourself and, and where I am in that. And that in some ways, I'm not so separate. I'm not so different. And the heart can just open in that way. Sometimes we may not notice this because we haven't really our mind hasn't been attuned to be aware of what's happening around our heart. But as we become more sensitive to our bodies and to the sensations that are moving through our body, we may notice that the area around our heart starts to become more alive. And it's one of the reasons we actually encourage people to be more fully in their body, to start to feel the sensations that are moving through their body, so that more of the body begins to wake up more of the centers of our being begin to wake up so that we have access to feeling these centers and that which can the understanding and the insight that can arise as we feel more of the totality of who we are in our humanness, in our human body. As we begin to feel this, we may notice, too, that the feeling may begin to expand because we're not just kind of ignoring it. It's, a, it's really quite amazing how much we ignore of our experience. But as we're pointed more and more to what's possible, we kind of get curious. And as we pay attention, when we place our attention, in this case through the heart, we may notice that there's a possibility for this feeling to expand as we stay with it. And it's actually an interesting practice in itself to allow that to happen, to actually allow the expansion. Because sometimes in our Vipassana practice, we're asked to notice it and let go. Notice and let go. Not get caught up in any conditions that are arising, not not give any meaning or uh, sense of uh, interest or preference to any sensations that are arising. And so then it can be easy to sort of just brush it aside, brush, it, brush aside an experience of an of a open and expanded heart. But that's actually a little misunderstanding of the, of the, of the um, teachings because what we're asked is to be with what is. So as we're being with the sensations around the heart, as we allow our attention to rest there, one of three things are going to happen. Either it's going to start to dissolve and disappear, it's either going to stay the same, or it's going to increase. So as we put our attention there, we may know that one of the things that's happening is that there's starting to be more of an expansion of that experience. The Buddha actually, I found in one of his teachings in the Majjhima Nikaya, when he was talking about um, the arising in our experience of happiness, when the happiness starts to come, and sometimes when with that there are some feelings of some uh, uh, joy or delight or even some bliss which arises sometimes, he says, um, this is from the text, he says, Allow the feeling to drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body. Just as a skilled bathman heaps bath powder in a metal basin and sprinkling it gradually with water kneads it until the moisture wets this ball of bath powder, soaks it, and pervades it inside and out. 
this isn't just notice it and let it go. (laughs) He needs it. He soaks it. He allows the sensations to pervade that ball of bath powder inside and out. It's possible to know ourselves, to know our experience at 360 degrees. You know, it's like to fill out, let it drench, let it steep, let it pervade this body. This is somewhat of what Catherine and I have been sort of pointing to a bit as we point to the body. You know, to let the body fill up with experience. We're not manipulating, we're not controlling, we're not trying to make an experience happen through our ideas or expectations. We're saying that when something is present, allow it to be there. And I really feel it fully. Really allow it to be the totality. Let the mind fill up. Mindfulness. Let the mind be full of what's occurring. And so that can mean 360 degrees or more because we're still within the confines of time and space. So perhaps we, perhaps it's even more than 360 degrees. You know, Sharon Salzberg has a book out called The Heart as Wide as the World. The possibility of our heart, our heart, our being that who we really are at our deepest dimension of being, this quality of heart, our love, our capacity, the capacity for presence and connection with all things. And sometimes we can feel that. It's not, sometimes it's maybe just be this shift of attitude where it's not a feeling at all. But sometimes the body fills up and we can feel like we're really, t- it's like we're out here, we're touching life. It's not this body that's touching anymore. It's like, wow, you know, like I'm making contact out here. Like, I feel this big. I feel so expansive and just in touch with everything. There's no separation at all. So we pay attention. Let's pay attention. Again, not having an idea of what's supposed to be there or trying to make something happen. We just pay attention. Because if this is who we are in our most basic quality of being, maybe it's here. <laughs> maybe, this, maybe this experience of love, and this is just one word to describe consciousness or the purity of, of consciousness, Maybe there's some way to know that right here and now. The third way, the the head, the heart, the third is the belly. And I, I, I think except for people who really do a lot of kind of martial arts and, you know, really are working through the, the belly and through the hara and, you know, really, really know how to, to be in their body. And you can feel it. You know, when you're around somebody who's like really right there in their belly, you can feel it. There's a certain quality of, of strength and groundedness and presence that, that, you know, really comes from that, those kind of practices. Where, where the attention goes right down into the belly. And it's said that the, um, the hara, um, um, or, in, or it's also called the kath, K-A-T-H, in the Middle Eastern traditions, um, it's considered the center of the being. It's the center. When we are able to put our attention there, we are in a state, more likely to be in a state of balance, more likely to be in a state of alignment, so, so many traditions and practices help us bring our attention more fully down into the hara or, or the center so that we can, we can move more and feel this kind of sense of, of, of balance and presence from the center of our being. So when we talk about feeling the love from the belly, it's really more of a whole body 
because we're grounded and we're centered and there's the possibility of the love really radiating out through the whole body. And there may be even a quality of kind of like being solid or like a mountain or you know, a really strong presence when the, when the love is connected all the way down into the belly. And we may find that there is a certain kind of stability. The body feels quite stable, and we really feel quite present. But sometimes through the meditation, as we're really practicing the connection with the belly and the, uh, the, 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 the center there, we may find, too, that the sense of our body starts to dissolve somewhat, that the, the, the physical boundaries, those gross boundaries of how we know our body, start to get more refined, may start to become more subtle. And so the sense of our physical body being so gross and dimensional may start to take on a different different feeling or a different sense where it isn't so defined. We can't even say necessarily that, that this is where my body is. It can kind of feel like there's at times even no, no body, no body, no body. <laughs> you know, there's this can be this sort of the sense of this, this dissolution, which then can also give rise to a knowing of some, the non-separateness, like where do I begin and where does the nature begin? Where do I end and where does the nature begin? It's like there's no sense of differentiation. We may start to have more of that sense of the unified field where there is no difference, no boundary, no barrier. And in that, we start to, again, have some sense or some uh, insight into this quality of love through the, not, through the, through the, um, the lack of boundaries and the, the non-separate feeling and knowing of what's true, that there actually isn't that much difference at, its, at the most essential nature of our being and at the, the nature of all things. And this is one of the things that can happen as the mind starts to get very quiet, the mind starts to get more refined and more subtle, is we start to experience these more subtle dimensions of our being and through that begin to have insight into the way things really are through our direct experience, not through somebody's ideas or something we read or some kind of belief, but we may start to say, wow, yeah, this body isn't so solid. This, there isn't such a strong substance of me here. But there's really, those, the boundary starts to feel much more transparent. And then we may even feel this more and more as we're actually moving around and functioning and eating and talking and working and all that, that there's this boundary just is a little more transparent. And there is this quality of love and connection and kindness and tenderness that just moves more through the whole body. And we start to feel it with people and animals and nature. And then, the, then we may feel the heart too, the heart moving in that kind of more tender, loving connection. But yet the whole body seems to be more immersed in this knowingness. The knowingness of what's true. Of who I really am and what, what really is true about this existence that I am part of. We might call this from the belly, this more embodied love. It's like it's not a love that is, we have to be in some kind of either altered consciousness or we don't have to be having a particular experience of open heart and, oh, I really love you. But it's an embodied kind of love, an embodied kind of love where we don't feel so much separate from all things, from all beings. I've had the good fortune of being in the presence of some very, very awake beings. And one of the, one of the people who I've spent some time with is a, this one, wonderful uh, Tibetan lama called Nosho Kempo Rinpoche, who I met in India one of the times I was in India. I was only with him fairly briefly a couple of times. One time we were sitting together in the uh, rose garden at the Mahabodhi temple in Bodhgaya, India, where the Buddha was enlightened. And Noshal Kempo Rinpoche happened to be there the same time that I was, and I was with one of his um, 
disciples, disciples, students who had spent quite a lot of time with him. So there was a small group of us who were sitting with Noshal Kempel in the Rose Garden. And he can't speak English. He didn't. He's he passed away now, um, but he he didn't speak English. So he wasn't actually talking much. He wasn't actually so well either. He couldn't see so clearly. But sitting with him in this just this small group, I had the experience of knowing what it meant to have embodied love, because his whole being radiated this presence and this aliveness and this brilliance and this connection. He was, I felt totally embraced in his presence without even really, he was talking a little bit of Tibetan with some of his, his uh, students there, but he wasn't really giving us teachings or anything like that. It was just his presence, his smile, and his eyes. And to look into his eyes, it was like looking into a deep ocean. It's like, really, nobody there? You know, it's just like, not couldn't really find anybody who was kind of like, acting there is just like empty, deep ocean. And in that, just this transmission of this beautiful presence, so caring, so tender, so loving. Another teacher who comes to mind is my teacher, uh, who I spent much time with in India, Punjaji, um, H-W-L, Punja, who in our friendly uh, way called him Punja G. Punja G. G means Mr. Punja, but Punja G. And um, spent many weeks, months with him. Whole body, whole body. You could just, you know, sit, sat like a mountain, shook like a mountain. The presence, the radiance, just like sitting next to an electrical transmitter, you know, in the room, just, um, you know, lighting up just the power of that. You know, being in that field, being held, embraced in the field of his consciousness, of the purity, the power of that love, that consciousness. It's not a joke. (laughs) I mean, you know, you read about this stuff, and it's real, you know, have really, when you sit in the presence of these beings, you know that there's something more that happens. It's the, it, something drops down all the way through the being and then just gets, radiates, gets transmitted outwardly. The power of this. And it's not just certain beings who have the capacity for this purity of love. Each one of us is sitting here right now sitting on this transmitter. That's our nature. That's who we are. And yet the power of the ego mind, the power of the conditioning, as we were through many, many lifetimes perhaps, if you believe in lifetimes, or the conditions that arose in this lifetime, the power of those conditions to limit and to block, to hide the brilliancy of that light, of that love, is phenomenal. I think it's really one of the great mysteries that we can constrict or be bound up in a way that we can lose access to knowing who we really are, to knowing our own power and strength and the capacity for our own love. It is truly one of the great tragedies, it is the tragedy of human beings, that we lose contact, we forget, we go to sleep, we go into a trance, and we don't know who we are. And we believe what the mind tells us. We believe what our mind, who the mind tells us that we are. We believe the stories. We believe all the judgments, the criticisms. We believe all the, the wor- our worries and our concerns and our fears and take it to be, we create a whole reality and believe that's who we are. We are stuck in that and have to f- some way find our way out into some some uh, happiness or ease in our life. That is what we believe. There's one wonderful 
story that I heard very early on in my practice that always comes back to me when I talk about the way we identify and believe this small mind. Um, there's a story about an ancient times where there's the, this um, man was in a cave and he was painting beautiful paintings on the wall of the cave. And this particular day, this is many hundreds and thousands of years ago, and on this particular day, this man was painting a tiger. And he was a real artist and painting real detail and color and just really was making this beautiful painting and got right to the end. And he looked at it and he went, Oh my God, it's a tiger! And he ran out of the cave. (laughs) And in a way, that's what we're doing. We're painting tigers on the wall of our consciousness, and then we get frightened. Oh my God, I gotta get out of here! Oh my God, and we don't actually know that we are the ones who are making the painting. I'm the one who's actually creating this through all the conditions, the causes and conditions that have arisen in my life which have given rise to this happening in the present time. But it's not as real as we make it to be. But without knowing that, we create a whole reality that then we live out of. And we have to, we believe that's who we are and we have to defend ourselves and protect ourselves and judge ourselves and manipulate ourselves and control things. But we're in the room. We're still in the room. Is there a way to get out of the room? Is there a way to be free so that we're not so bound up in this imaginary reality? So through the practices we're starting to see if we can deconstruct or unravel some of these beliefs and these identifications and these clinging, grasping on to our thoughts and our ideas, our beliefs, and taking it also, making it also real for us, giving us some way to come out of the room, come out of that reality into a reality that is much more true, a reality that is true, the direct reality, the here and now reality, right here. Before the mind moves into the future and without going back into the past, just this, just this moment right now, this is what's real. That we're sitting here together in this room at Gaia House, Right now, hearing a Dharma talk, you're sitting there, you're having a particular experience, this is what's real. And then the next moment, or another moment, we'll see, the mind will just go, but I got it, you know, then this is going to happen. We come back. Come back. This is the, the basic practice. It's so basic. We learned it on our very first retreat and our very first instruction. Come back. (laughs) And we say it for eons. Come back. Return back. Return back. Return back. Touch back. Touch back. Because this is reality. Here and now. And more and more, the more we live in reality, the more we are in present moment, the more we are in contact with ourselves, the more likely it is to begin to access the truth, the deeper truth, the deeper dimensions of who we are. If we're in the past or we're in the future, we're not here, we're lost, there's no possibility. There's no possibility. Only when we're here. Only when we get back here. So those moments are so precious. One moment of being mindful, one moment of being present, one moment of true connection with the here and now is the most precious thing that can happen to a human being. That is the jewel, that is the gift for us as human beings to just be here for one moment. One moment, the whole door 
to the universe can open up. And from with that, the heart, the mind, the belly expands, opens into connection with this true reality. This is a poem that somebody wrote on day six of a metta retreat, of a loving-kindness retreat at Spirit Rock. And on those loving-kindness retreats, it's a, this was probably a 10-day retreat, people just repeat phrases, metta phrases, loving-kindness phrases, from the minute they wake up in the morning to the minute they go to bed at night. As all the practice is, is returning back to the metta phrases, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be at ease, just saying it again and again and again and again, all through the day, thousand times, hundred thousand times. Very powerful. This is from Kenneth Simmons, who wrote this and gave it to the teachers. Called Metta Practice, Spirit Rock. Daybreak floats, weightless, like fog at the window. Eight pools of yellow light, like fragrance, touch memory, light warming the air. Sound is reduced to one bird, the rustle, now and then of fabric, the creak, from time to time of wood, invincibly flexing and the almost sound of a hundred people, each cloaked in our own tent of beautiful cloth, breathing. Each behind closed eyes polishes a family of beloveds with phrases uttered 10,000 times by the mind, by the heart, by the pores of our skin, like the sound in the seashell or the constant sound of a distant ocean, the sound of breathing, not anybody's breathing, breath itself, breathing love, not anybody's love, love itself, utterly love breathing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.